want to thank my listeners. I know I said this before, but remember, I also said I had no idea what I was doing. Remember that? Well, I wasn't lying. I do not know what I'm doing. I'm kind of going by the seat of my pants. But now I have help. Savvy Marketing is helping me with this giveaway. So two loyal listeners will receive a giveaway box. Redeeming Heartache Book by Dan Allender and Kathy Lorzell. My favorite snack, which is licorice. And so I have some licorice from Licorice International, a store here in Lincoln that has licorice from all over. And they have uh, Finnish licorice, which is red. That's my favorite. I know there's a debate that red licorice isn't really licorice. It's just candy, but it's still my favorite. And then I also have uh, black licorice, which is from New Zealand. Then you also get a bookmark. I went to Texas this summer to visit family and friends. I went to Magnolia and I picked up a bookmark for you and a Magnolia book bag. And of course, coffee mug. Okay, the giveaway rules are open to US residents only. Follow me on Instagram at Rabrina Rettle. Like the photo and tag two friends in the comments and let me know which episode has been your favorite. For a bonus entry, subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The giveaway winner will be announced on Instagram on Tuesday, November 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern time, I believe. Best wishes and thank you for all your support. The, the ones that had died in a way that was filled with color and joy and because we knew that one day we'll see them again mm-hmm. and that you know they, they they are actually what i love about it is that they stay an active part of our family even though they're no longer with us they were appalled when they saw some of the customs that these indians were practicing mm-hmm. and their their goal was of course to get rich but also to bring christianity to the country at whatever cost that was and so some of them did it the smart way they would try to align some of the Catholic or the Christian beliefs with things that they were already practicing. So what they did was they moved the Dia de los Muertos to November 1st and November 2nd because it aligned with the time of harvest. And that was something the Indians understood, that life is a cycle. You come to the end of that cycle and you harvest what you have. But it continues, it's never really dead. It just keeps coming again and again. Welcome to the Grid Podcast, getting real, immersed in truth, intersecting hard conversations with the gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. I'm your host, Rabrina Rattle. El Dia de los Muertos, known as the Day of the Dead, differs from Halloween. Day of the Dead, actually a two-day celebration, celebrates the memories of the loved ones who have passed away. This celebration is steeped in the rich heritage of indigenous people that has carried on in the Hispanic, Latino, and some Christian community celebrations to this day. My guest today is Lupe Hickey. Lupe, who is my husband Troy's co-worker, is a mother of six and grandmother of 10. 
She's the co-caretaker of her 94-year-old mother and a fantastic cook. Lupe and I are going to talk about the origins, customs, and significance of Day of the Dead. Okay, yes, I'm excited to learn because I know bits and pieces, and I know that there was an, an aspect where as a conquistadors came in and Christianity came in. And so we're going to talk about what the Day of the Dead is, its significance, its celebrations and rituals, and yeah. also, you know, how Christianity became a part of it. Let's clarify that. So, because some people think that uh, Day of the Dead is a version of Halloween, and that is not, not the case. at all. I think that one of the, the biggest distinctions is Halloween kind of has more to do with horror and tricks and a little bit. I loved Halloween when I was growing up. I just, I loved it. The Day of the Dead is to do with life, with joy, with happiness, with dancing, with, with eating food and enjoying a shot of tequila or whatever. We didn't do margaritas. Margaritas, I don't know if you know, this is an American custom. So. But no, it's, they're similar. And certainly because of the fact that they kind of happen around, you know, one right after the other, I can see where people would confuse them. But there, there is quite a difference. Absolutely. Uh, for me, Day of the Dead was not something that I grew up with. My mother did not celebrate it because actually Dia de Muertos started in Southern Mexico. And so it gradually moved its way up and we lived in Central Mexico, but I did have an aunt that would set up an altar every year that I found intriguing. And I would ask her about it. And she started to share her ideas and what Dia de los Muertos was all about. I'll probably keep saying Dia de los Muertos as opposed to the Muertos, because that's how we're accustomed to saying it. Mm. But it's, I think I, I found it so beautiful because as a, as a general rule, our culture, and when I say culture, I mean Hispanic, not necessarily just Mexicans, but our culture is not afraid of death. It's part of a cycle that we have that's been part of our humanity since day one. And so for us, it was a time to celebrate the departure or the, the ones that had died in a way that was filled with color and joy and because we knew that one day we'll see them again mm -hmm. and that, you know, they, they, they are actually, what I love about it is that they stay an active part of our family, even though they're no longer with us. Mm -hmm. And we celebrate their lives and talk about memories that we had shared with them. And to me, that's what Dia de los Muertos is all about. Mm -hmm. So Dia de los Muertos is celebrated on November 1st and November 2nd, All mm -hmm. Saints Day and All Souls Day. Okay. And, and as, you know, when you were, we were talking about the Dia de los Muertos has been around for like 3000 years before the Spaniards ever hit Mexico. Mm -hmm. And of course they were appalled when they saw some of the customs that these Indians were practicing mm -hmm. and their, their goal was of course to get rich, but also to bring Christianity to the country at whatever cost that was. And so some of them did it the smart way. They would try to align some of the Catholic or the Christian beliefs with things that they were already practicing. For example, the Dia de los Muertos celebration used to be in, during the summer. And little by little, as they realized that they tried hard to obliterate that custom, but it wasn't going to happen because it was such a strong 
uh, visceral celebration, it, would, it was hard to wipe out. So what they did was they moved the Dia de los Muertos to November 1st and November 2nd because it aligned with the time of harvest. And that was something the Indians understood that life is a cycle. You come to into that cycle and you harvest what you have. Mm. And then in that ground where the dead roots are comes new life the following spring. So it continues, it's never really dead. It just keeps mm. coming again and again. So that was something that was easier for them to adapt to. And they happily adapted that change in the date. But the customs that come with it, I guess, I don't know how much you know about it, Barbarina, but for me, my favorite part, I get all excited and I was, I was appalled that here we are, the middle of October, and I haven't even put up my ofrenda. Now you're going to say, what is an ofrenda? And the ofrenda is actually an altar that I create in my home. It has, it is, to me, it's just delightful and magical. I put up all kinds of little lights on there and candles. But what, what is featured are the photos of mm. my departed family members. I have my father clear at the very top. He takes the center stage. And I have my grandparents and my cousins and all these people. Thank God I got to meet most of them. There's one or two that I never got to meet. But they take a, a position on that little altar. And part of that altar includes things that these people liked in life. You know, the fruits and candy and yes, liquor. I always put a little bottle of tequila by my dad. And actually any, any self-respecting ofrenda should have the four elements or earth elements, fire, wind, water, and earth. Mm. Yes. So we, the water is represented by putting a pitcher of water there, especially on that, on the actual day of the, the celebration, November 1st. And then for fire, of course, it's the candles and the symbolism of the lights that I have there. And then the wind is represented by the papel picado. And those are those colorful banners that you see um, in, in um, Mexican villages or any Mexican you know, fest festival. Mm -hmm. They're cut out. And actually what they do is they stack a whole bunch of this tissue paper. And then with a chisel and a hammer, sharp chisel, they cut out these shapes. And oh, I, for me, I just get all excited when I see that. And I, and I have a ton of that stuff here at home. I hang them up everywhere. It was just, for me, it's just this profusion of color. And to me, it just represents love. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't help it. I just get all excited. And, I, and it's hard sometimes to get other people to understand if they don't understand the, the background of why we do this, because I think they tend to think that it might be perhaps a little pagan, but it's not at all. It all has to do with love of family, with the love of our culture, with our traditions, our foods. And one of the things that I enjoy, I, um, I like to teach uh, Mexican cooking and I do that here at the community college. And Southeast I Southeast Community College, you can take a Southeast. class. <laughs> yes, note to self, Ogreen, and take this class, you'll enjoy it. I didn't do it this fall because I had so many things to worry about. But one of the, my favorite things to make is Dia de los Muertos, pan, pan de muertos, de los muertos. And it's a yeast dough that I flavor with a, a tea that I seep with anise seeds and orange peel and orange juice mm. uh, it's got all of these vibrant flavors in it and then you shape it you can shape it like in the form of a skull or you shape little long pieces of dough that look like bones and it's it's all part of the mystique and the tradition 
of Dia de los Muertos. Uh, so I like to do that. And of course, we have all kinds of, um, some of them are even what I would uh, venture to say pre-Hispanic uh, drinks. You make a gruel with cornmeal and cinnamon and chocolate. And it's absolutely, and then of course the, the Mexican version of brown sugar um, or just went out of my brain. Uh, it's, it's a very, very uh, unrefined form of sugar that sweetens everything. And I absolutely love that. I think I'm kind of a little bit of a sugar holic. But anyway, <laughs> we do all of this and we, we bring it to front and center on that, on that altar. And then of course the foods that we serve on that day are all the traditions that I like to cook in my family. And for us, it's a really, really joyful time. Mm. Yeah, I, you mentioned that when it started back some 3,000 years ago, that was in the time of the Aztecs and other right. indigenous people living in Mexico. Talk to me about, because I, I understand that the days represent, the two days are... One of them is, right. Yeah. Well, one of them is actually the day of children because they believe, you know, the children come back. And that's one thing that is fun to do. I do not have any relatives or know of any relatives that died in their childhood. But when you do have a child that has departed, then you uh, put little toys on the altar, something that the mm -hmm. child would like. Mm -hmm. Of course, the second day is day, uh, All Souls Day, and that's where everybody gets to come back. Mm -hmm. And supposedly their, their uh, trip is made easier through the pathway of marigold petals. That if, if you've ever been fortunate enough, and I have been, to go to Mexico, and you see the farmers bringing in huge bales of marigolds that they've harvested and brought in to sell in the marketplace because you know they're going to sell. Everybody wants marigolds to grace their altars. And, I, you know, it's funny because I never appreciated marigolds growing up. To me, they stank. Mm. But then somebody said they were going to keep the mosquitoes away. And now I use them for my altars. And it's so hard for me to keep them alive between now and the end of October, because you know, we always get a hard freeze. So mm -hmm. you'll see me out there in the backyard with my blankets, trying to protect them and, and keep them going for as long as I can. But that's a real important aspect, mm -hmm. at least in my estimation mm -hmm. of what we need to have on the altar. When the conquistadors came from Spain, but they also said that it was an ancient Europe pagan celebration also took place in the fall and that it consisted of bonfires, dancing, feasting. Mm -hmm. And after, even after the rise of, it was the Roman Catholic Church, which unofficially adopted them into their celebration. So it's what you were saying, how they knew that they had to allow the celebration to continue and honor. Yes, especially the if they were going to get them to join the team, so to speak. To join the faith. And right. there was a lot of... Um, death from plagues and so on. They just weren't ready for this new introduction of human beings that they'd never seen before with all the things that they brought with them. They, they just weren't able to handle it very well. Uh, yeah. So here I also noticed, I had done some reading and they said that a lot of the most prominent symbols are galacas. Calaveras. Calaveras, the skulls. And skulls. Galacas, skeletons. The 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 other skeletons yeah and I, that's one thing i'm glad you brought that up because the skeletons kind of didn't happen until after the spaniards came i mean it was funny because i think it was one of our one of our artists a gentleman by the name of posada back in the 1800s 1900s we had some pretty dictatorial presidents mm. and some pretty corrupt political systems that needed 
probably probably to be taken down a peg or two, but you couldn't just outright criticize without risking life and limb. Mm-hmm. And so what this they what they did was they would do poems and cartoons, kind of a satirical mm-hmm. behind their backs. They had no idea that they were making fun of them, but they would do it with the sketches, sketches of skeletons, mm-hmm. you know, doing everyday aspects of life, you know, riding a bicycle, going to get some bread, courting a woman. They were all in the skeletons and they would have these really cool poems and they were really very, some of them, I, I thought, what are they that they didn't understand they were being made fun of mm-hmm. or they were being criticized. Mm-hmm. But the way, I don't know if you know the word Katrina, it's these really elegant dolls that maybe you've seen them. I, I noticed that the last James Bond movie, there was a scene in Mexico City where they were chasing the bad guys through Mexico City and they were came on to Dia de los Muertos celebration. And you see all these gorgeous um, women dressed in these long dresses from the early, late 18, 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And they're actually, but they're skeletal women. And the, I don't know if people understand that there was a lot of French influence in Mexico and Mexico wanted to emulate the French. They even created homes and streets that look like a French scene out of Paris. Mm-hmm. And so, but anyway, all these women were skeletons. And one of the things that the political, the political criticism that was being done with the use of calaveras and calacas and all that was that underneath you know, we may be filthy rich, we may have all this fancy clothes, but underneath, all of us are equal, and we're all equal with our little bony skeletons. Mm, That is very interesting. I did read a little bit about him, that he was mocking politicians and commenting on revolutionary politics. And uh, yeah, I sent you a picture of dolls. Yes, I had seen this Barbies that were made for (laughs) Day of the Dead and dressed very uh, beautifully. I think it's, you'll see me, I have, oh my gosh, I have a huge collection of all They really have optimized the marketing for all this stuff. Isn't it amazing? So, Hmm. yeah, so also, so some of the, when you were talking about the food, well, one of the things though, and you're talking about the dress, because I noticed that sometimes they'll have like a little girl. Sometimes I've seen the women with the full face. That's Mm -hmm. the skeletal. Right. Right. The skull. And then I've seen like one with a little girl and she had half her face painted with the skull Mm -hmm. and the other half just um, made up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so is that part of the festivities? Yes. That's part of the festivities you'll find. If you're able to ever, I've only done it once. I celebrated Day of the Dead in Mexico City and uh, Guadalajara. And it was the most amazing time because you see that they have put a lot of thought and work and preparation with the costumes that they create and the makeup that they do. I mean, they are extremely artistic beyond anything you can imagine, but it goes beyond that. It's the music, it's the food, it's the dance, uh, the lights, the decorations. It's just, you create a whole world that it just gets impressed into your brain. You're never going to forget it. It truly is magical. And I, I like, I like that word because it, it, it's, it's heartwarming. It's fun. And who would have thought, you know, celebrating our departed family members to be so fun. You know, I know that it's, it's, it's fun and, but it's also taken very seriously. 
because sure. I know those those two days they also the festivities that are done during the day and during the night but one of them one of the parts of the celebration is extremely important is when when the participants go to the grave sites yes that's an amazing site I personally have not seen it but I love to look online and, and get you know videos of these celebrations in the graveyards and generally you'll see this more so in the rural areas small towns there where they have their little cemeteries on the edge of the town or even you know in a certain part of their town but you'll see just this this illuminated area in in the town because everybody brings candles and lanterns and they actually bring picnics with them and the whole family sits around their reparted grave and they tell stories and they eat and they drink and they play their guitar and you see all these families out there and all you can hear is this buzz of laughter and talk and music. And I, it, it's, it's a scene that just moves you to tears. It's, it's, it's hard to describe how, how amazing that is, but that's something that, that I wish we could do here in this country. Yeah, I do think that's interesting because like you said, they tell stories. So they tell stories about the departed one and they remember them in a loving and a fun way. They, they share fun stories. Right, right. And, um, and it, what it does too is it opens up dialogue between the family, the living members, because in one case I was at my aunt's house, they were putting out a cup of coffee for their departed dad and, and the daughter made the coffee. And my aunt said, that's not the way he liked it. He liked it with lots of sugar and very strong. He says, let me do that for you. And that started a whole conversation of what their dad liked to eat and the fun things that they did together. And the, that little gal was so amazed because she'd not heard these stories before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I'd like to think that that happens in households where they practice something like that. And you bring these people um, into your hearts in a way that you wish that you could have met them if you didn't meet them. They, they come to life. Yeah, but that just made me think it really keeps their story alive. And it's the storytelling and the passing down of stories. And that's how you get to know your ancestry over and over. You're hearing these stories of who they were. I think it's getting better, but it, believe it or not, there used to be a time and that it just wasn't cool to be Mexican. You know, you just kind of hope that nobody would notice and you could kind of slide by. But I think that this Dia de los Muertos, for me personally, has given me so much pride to be a Mexican. I'm out there, I'm a Mexican and I'm very proud. Mm -hmm. I used to be kind of caught between limbo and because I was I'm an American citizen now, and, but I was born in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And so I really didn't know where I belonged. Mm -hmm. And now I realize that I can belong in both worlds and, and I can bring my life and my truth to everybody mm -hmm. without being offensive about it, but in a joyful way that they're, you know, happy that they met me. So mm -hmm. I know that sounds maybe perhaps a little bit presumptuous, but that's the way I feel. Well, I'm happy I met you. So <laughs> I'll agree with you on that. I stand in agreement <laughs> with you on that. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying that you kind of straddled between two cultures and where one may not be as accepting or you may not be as accepted in one as the other. And, um, you know, I listened to this podcast, actually, it's called Any anything for Selena, it mm -hmm. was so well done. It, it's more than oh. just about Selena. It's about Selena and her impact on the Mexican community, Mexican-American community, 
he and uh, the community in Mexico. And it kind of talked about how it was okay that she, how she spoke Spanish, but she had an American accent with it. And she didn't even know how to speak Spanish very well. She had to learn. Work at it. Yeah, she had to learn. But it really talked about how she moves between two cultures. And it talked about what it meant politically, what it meant to accept your full self, your dark hair, your curvaceousness, like just being able to accept yourself because of her. And it it is a beautiful, beautiful podcast. It was so well done. I'll have to look for that. You know, one of the things that I I feel very fortunate, there's a movie that came out, was it a couple of years ago, Coco? Mm -hmm. And it's it's an animated Pixar presentation of the celebration of Dia de los Muertos in a Hispanic family. And I, I, I never see that without crying every single time. I bet I could watch it six times in a row and I'm still crying every time. Because not because it's sad, but because it's so moving, the, the, mm-hmm. the tender emotions that are expressed there and, and the humor and just the idea of everyday family life in a Mexican family. They, they depicted it so well. And the thing that amazed me is that it did very well here in the United States, but it did even better in China. I think that they, mm-hmm. the Chinese people just were delighted with it. And I'm sure there's many reasons why, but part of it is because I think the Asian families tend to venerate our older family members. You know, we, we respect them and the contributions that have made our own lives possible today. That's probably one aspect, but the other is, I don't know. It, it was just so cool that I don't know that they were, cause they don't celebrate death the same way that we do in the Dia de los Muertos, but they they said that it did way, way beyond what anybody ever expected. They absolutely enjoyed it so much. Yeah. And, there, no, go ahead. Go ahead. There is a lot more acceptance. In 2017, there were a number of major cities, including Chicago, Los Angeles, San Antonio, uh, Fort Lauderdale, that held Day of the Dead parades. So and you know what? In New York City, they have probably the biggest day oh, of the wow. day celebration. And so I, I, it would be so fun to go to one of those places and take part in the parades, like you said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, one, one the thing that makes me really proud is, I don't know if you know about the organization UNESCO. It's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO. And what their goal has always been to recognize monuments and collections of objects that are part of a cultural contribution from a country. But because of all the exposure that we've had, it now is recognizing Dia de los Muertos as a very, very special holiday. And it's added it, it added it to its list of intangible, intangible cultural heritage of humanity. And I think that is so neat that an organization that prides itself on, on quality, the beautiful things that we have to offer on this earth recognizes the other Los Muertos as one of those things. Wow. That is something. But like I said, I am way behind. Normally by now I have all of my altars up and my house decorated. I haven't even started. I'm going to have to work really hard <laughs> to get it up by Sunday. Well, I really appreciate you sitting with us today, Alupe, and talking to us about Day of the Dead and its significance in remembering and celebrating those who have passed on from this world and how you portray death in such a loving, positive light. And it's a natural part 
of our experience as human beings. Absolutely, absolutely. You you nailed it. That's exactly what the other Los Muertos is. Wow. Well, thank you again. You take care. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to the next time. The pleasure's mine. Thank you, Lupe, for sharing the cultural and religious significance of Day of the Dead with us. Since recording this, my family and I paid a visit to Lupe's house to take a look at her Day of the Dead decorations, and we were able to see the photos of her loved ones on the ofrenda. And she served us some of her tasty Mexican food recipes. Lupe and her sisters offered wonderful hospitality and are generous hosts. Thanks again, Lupe. To learn more about the Day of the Dead, check out the links in the show notes. If you've been listening for a while, you know I spent most of my growing up years in Texas. While I was living there, my friend Eddie introduced me to the music of Grammy-winning artist Selena Quintanilla a few years before she was brutally murdered by the president of her fan club. The podcast I mentioned earlier, Anything for Selena, is hosted by journalist Maria Garcia. She does a beautiful job of dwelling into Selena's influence and impact on identity, body positivity, politics, in the Mexican-American community, Mexico, and beyond. Episodes are available in English and Spanish. I loved that podcast. Maria's vulnerability and storytelling is mesmerizing. You should check it out. Don't forget the giveaway. If you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to give Grit, Getting Real, Immersed in Truth, a five-star rating, follow, and share. Getting Real, Immersed in Truth is written, produced, and edited by me, Robrina Reddle. Original music by composer Michael Coffey of Handcrafted Studios. Connect with me on Instagram at Robrina Reddle and check out my website, robrinareddle.com. Okay, friends, until next time, keep your head up when getting real while immersed in truth. <laughs>